We're going to be continuing our sermon series today in 1 Peter, and we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And I think we can encapsulate this section of Scripture and summarize it uh, this way. Peter's telling us we should not be surprised by suffering that comes from following Jesus, and we should have joy in the midst of that suffering. So no surprises about suffering, and we should have joy in the midst of it. And what I want to do is look at three main points today to see how Peter is saying this and and why he thinks we should believe it. Um, And the first is, even though Peter says we shouldn't be surprised by suffering, we usually are. You know, and, and I want to dig into why are we so surprised? I also want to take a look at the case that Peter makes on why we should find joy and do good in the midst of suffering. And then finally, I want to answer the big question, if you're anything like me, I need something practical. Like, is this really possible? You know, it's great for him to tell me, how? You know, can, can, I, can I really find joy and do good in the midst of suffering and, and not be surprised by it when it comes to me? So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. So but before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into the Scripture. Father, thank you for um, this chance to gather here this morning. Um, You brought every one of us here intentionally. Um, And we're going to be talking about tough subjects. Suffering is something that it's it's hard to go through, Father. And I know that there are many here that are suffering with, with some very real, real issues. So God, I just ask that um, as we dive into this scripture, um, that we truly understand how we can have that joy that you promise. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So if you haven't already, you can turn your Bibles again. We're in 1 Peter 4, uh, 12 through 19, and the scripture says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, in case you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, um, I just want to give a little bit of background and context into um, this scripture and and the letter of of 1 Peter overall. Um, This was written about 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the audience that Peter is writing to, uh, their believers across the Roman Empire, but specifically to uh, Jewish Christians, uh, people who are now following Jesus, they've been driven from their homes, Uh, As we saw in the very first chapter, they're exiles. They're scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Um, And during this time, uh, Emperor Nero 
was in charge, and he was a particularly brutal guy. Uh, I won't get into all the details of it, but um, he, he had a particular axe to grind with Christians, and he went after them in a very ferocious way. Um, you know, and some of the things we're seeing in the world today, you know, uh, happening then. So, to say that you were a follower of Jesus during this time and to proclaim that, you literally were taking your life into your own hands. Um, so it's in the midst of this that Peter is writing this letter, you know, to encourage them to hold fast to their faith and to remind them of that hope um, and the promise of eternal life that they have in Jesus. Now, given the circumstances, I think that's a really great thing to write. It makes sense to me that Peter would be doing that. Um, and as I was reading through this, I'm like, all right, well, what else might I give advice? Because my wife will tell you I think I'm very wise. It doesn't really shake out that way. But what, what would I tell these people who are suffering like this, pushed out of their homes? And um, I don't know, keep your chin up. Just hang in there, you know. Um, you know we'll, we'll get through this. Um, you know, maybe just lay low, you know, sit tight. Don't rock the boat too much. You don't draw attention to yourself. This will pass at some point, and, you know, Nero is going to croak at some point, so we'll, we'll, just, we'll get through this together, right? Well, fortunately for them, I wasn't giving them the advice, and Peter was, uh, because he goes the complete opposite direction with it. He tells them not only to just keep their chins up, but to rejoice, See that in verse 13 and in verse 16, not be ashamed. He doesn't tell them to lay low and fit in. He tells them, go out and do good. Those people that hate you, do good for them in their midst. And we see that in verse 19. And to top it off, he doesn't paint this rosy picture of, hey, this is just hold tight. This is, is going to pass at some point. He's like, this ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Get ready for it. As you're following Jesus, the suffering thing is going to happen again and again and again. That's not a great pep talk. You know, if uh, he was getting ready to get his team out there, I'm thinking, nah, thanks, Peter, that's sort of helpful, right? But it's, it's not what we want to hear, but it's exactly what they needed to hear. And I think it's a lot of what we need to hear as well. You know, what Peter is saying, it, it, it does sound good. It's very altruistic. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to do good. Um, and as a, a Christian, I, I really do believe this is, I believe what he's saying is true, and we should live that way. But as I was studying this, something in me, I, I just kept wanting to push back on what he was saying. You know, it, it's so counterintuitive, and it's really hard what he's asking these Christians to do and what, it, what we're being asked to do. And as I thought about this, if I was really being honest, I am surprised when suffering comes. You know, and my first gut response is not to find joy in it. You know, it's painful. It's very real, especially when you're in the middle of it. And I've been... Um, really just kind of keep my eyes and ears open over the last few weeks, too, as we're going through this, this uh, sermon series and just paying better attention to what people are going through. And I know that there are a lot of you sitting here right now that are going through some really hard stuff. You know, it could be with family members, it could be work, 
could be finances, could be health. It could be for living out your faith and being rejected for that. So I don't want to make light of that suffering at all. It's very real. I know many of you know that, that my wife Bridget's been dealing with Lyme disease for you know, almost the last year. And um, you know, there's physical suffering that comes with that. There's emotional suffering, a lot that has to be given up. Um, and as her husband, I, I want to help her, but I really can't. <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot I can do. Um, and in the midst of that, especially at the beginning, it certainly surprised me that this was happening to us. And like I said, my first response was not, this is awesome, <laughs> let's be joyful about it, right? So I really was challenged by this. So I asked myself, is it really possible for me or for any of us to always live the way Peter is describing, to not be surprised by suffering and to have joy in the midst of it? Not this fleeting thing that comes and goes, but can we have something that just is there no matter what? You know, on the surprise side, um, <laughs> if you spend any time in the Bible at all, uh, I mean, look from Genesis all the way to Revelation, suffering, right? It's there. It's all throughout the Bible. Um, Jesus himself says this in John 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's pretty point blank. I mean, Jesus is not pulling any punches there. They're going to hate you. There's going to be suffering. If you're following him, if you are doing the will of God the Father, it's going to lead to suffering. So we see this all throughout the Bible, but we also see throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, I mean, talk about people crying out and suffering, but in every one of them there is joy. They're praising God in the midst of it. You know, we see it earlier in Peter's letter as well. He's talking about having, you know, rejoicing and, 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 and really owning that in the midst of your suffering. So I ask again, if we're told these things over and over, if we see this in the Bible, right, why are we still so surprised when suffering comes? I chewed on this and chewed on this, and I came to this conclusion. I think this is a big one. We just see suffering in a completely different way than God does. You know, I read a number of articles um, while I was preparing for this and just kind of wrote down some of the themes I was finding about how we as a, a society in general feel about suffering. Um, and I would say especially in the U.S. Uh, of how we view it. And here are some of the things I found. It's just wrong. Right? We should live pain-free, comfortable lives. Um, none of us in here may say, oh yes, I want to live pain-free because it sounds a little, you know, not so great, but that's what we want. I work in advertising. That's why I sell all day long. <laughs> hey, get this so your life is easier. You deserve easy pay so you don't have to worry about this. You need 52 different ways to watch, I don't know, pick a favorite show. That, that's what we're looking for. How can we make our lives comfortable? So when we think of suffering, that's like, you know, get away. So that's one of the, the ways that we view suffering, I think, as a society. Another one is 
Root causes of suffering don't really matter. Suffering's bad wherever it comes from. We tend to lump it all together. If it makes me feel bad, I don't like it. We're going to come back to that one. Here's some other things I saw as well. Suffering is worthless. It has no value. It's repugnant and disgusting. It's detrimental, something that should just be done away with. It's unpredictable, random, and senseless. Happens without reason or provocation. And I read one article that summarized it, uh, our view of suffering this way. We can do nothing to avoid it, and certainly we cannot make something of it. We can only passively accept and endure, hoping it will end as soon as possible. Suffering is like toxic waste we cannot possibly be rid of. That's a pretty bleak view of suffering. <laughs> it might be a little exaggerated, but I really think if we thought about it, kind of, that's how we view it. There's a lot of different ways in how our view and God's view differs. But what I really want to do is look at two specifically that I think Peter gives us here in the text. And I think as we start to look at how God views suffering, that surprise piece that we have starts to diminish a little bit. So the first thing I saw was, for God, his view of suffering identifying the root causes of that suffering is very important. You have to know where that suffering is coming from because different sources, different causes require a different response. Like I said earlier, we tend to lump that all together and just nah, get it away. I don't want it. But if you look at verses 13 uh, through 16, Peter gives us a comparison of two different causes of suffering. This isn't the end-all, be-all, but he gives us this. This is a sort of a juxtaposition here. He shows us suffering for faith in Jesus and suffering for our own sin. In verse 15, Peter tells us what not to suffer for. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. What he's calling us out there is, if you're suffering because of your sin, that's not really suffering. That's consequences. You, know, you have to deal with what you've brought on yourself by breaking God's law, by being rebellious. And if that's the root cause of your suffering, you need to respond to it in a very specific way. Uh, in a very specific way. And that's confess and repent. Go to God with it. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for him to come in and help you change that. Now, in comparison, if you're suffering for following Jesus, for, for doing God's will, that's obviously a very different root cause of why the suffering may be coming into your life. Well, that deserves a very different response. And Peter tells us what that should be throughout this passage. Rejoice and do good. When you look at where your suffering is coming from and how you should respond, it all of a sudden that sort of generic worldview that we have and that generic response we have kind of shatters a little bit. And we need to look very closely at that. And instead of just thinking it's this awful thing, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised by it because we do have different causes of it. I think the second one uh, point that uh, Peter shows us as well also really helps. 
As I said earlier, we tend to view no value in suffering. In God's view, there is. It's not a pointless thing. In verse 12, Peter shows us uh, that that is the case with this. He says, suffering for our faith is a test. Anybody in here like taking tests? No? Ezra, oh, thank you. You're always there for me, Miss Fred. I appreciate it. Eloise loves tests, right? We don't necessarily like taking tests, but they have value, right? They tell us something. Maybe it's a medical test. This is what's wrong with you. This is what's right with you. Um, you know, uh, you, you take a test at school. How much did I learn? Do I need to know more? There's value in that testing that we go through in suffering because it shows us very clearly where do we have our hope and faith? You know, how do you respond and where you turn? It really does shine a light on who we are, what we think is important. I think King David really understood the value of testing. Um, in Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 through 24, he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David's asking to be tested. He's asking God to take a hard look at his life and examine those areas where he's just out of whack with what God is looking for him to do. You know, and, and he's asking for more. You know, this is the, 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 towards the end of the psalm. He's asking at the beginning, like, yes, God, bring me that testing and then keep on doing it. I know for me, whenever I find myself sort of kind of going off the rails a little bit, I find, all right, I really haven't been in the Bible as much lately. These guys, they're doing it to me. I knew they would. They're making faces at me to see if I'm going to laugh, but I'm going to be good. <laughs> um, sorry, now I lost my track. What I find is when I'm not in the Bible, when I'm not in the Word, very quickly I'm doing things my own way. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that or not, but... I was really convicted by it. And when I realized that my first reaction, you know, to that suffering is not God give me more, test me more, show me, examine me, give me comfort, right? Give me out of this. I do not want this. And where do I turn? Food's a good one, you know, let's jump in the refrigerator real quick. Um, relying on my own skills and ability. Like, I know how to do this. I've been trained in this. I fall into this a lot at work. I'll just kind of bulldoze my way through. Um, I might fire back. You're causing me suffering. I'm going to come back at you. Or, in some cases, I might throw a pity party. You know, maybe down in the basement. You know, a little, why is me? Oh, woe is me? Um, why is this happening? And, and some Moose Tracks ice cream. You know, it's a pretty good go-to combination, right? Chocolate. I thank God, though, that that's not where I am going as often. You know, the Holy Spirit's definitely been working on me. He has been helping me 
even though I still have those impulses, I'm not, lay, I'm not going there as long. Um, and he's turning me back to God more quickly. So with that, I see the value of testing. You know, if I wasn't suffering, I wouldn't be zoning in on those areas that I'm turning to for comfort. I would be, you know, kind of going down my own path. So there is a point, there is a value to the suffering that we go through. There's a lot more that we could get into regarding the differences between God's view of suffering and ours, but if we just think of those two, look at those root causes and the responses, and then also that there is value in that suffering, I think that's going to drastically change our perspective. We're not going to be so surprised anymore. Now, one of the other things I want to look at this morning is what is Peter's case for why we should find joy? So if we shouldn't have this surprise, we should just expect that it's there. But how do we find joy and do good in the midst of it? And I think he does this by showing us two things. There are purposes and there are promises. And he shows us both in the text here. The first purpose that I see, and, and I mentioned this already in what King David uh, mentioned about testing, it refines us. There's a purpose in what we go through because we're being sanctified. We're being changed to be more like Jesus, to become holy. You see that in verse 12 and also in verses 17 through 18. You know, he knows without that suffering, without us being jolted out of our complacency, out of the comfort that we have, we continue going down our own path. And that's not the path he wants for us. He loves us enough to let us go through that suffering so that we can change direction. You know, another purpose that I found was that it points us to eternal realities. I don't know about you, but I, I get so fixated on the here and now. You know, what's happening today? I want to be comfortable today. I want to be happy today. I, I, I sort of have this idea of kind of a heaven on earth thing. I, I want life to just be easy. I'd like to sit in my recliner, watch the Avengers, the kids are doing their homework quietly, you know, the cats are asleep, and I don't know. We want that comfort, right? But this isn't it. This isn't our final stop. If we believe in Jesus, we get heaven. We get to be with God our Father forever. And again, I think God loves us enough to let us go through that suffering to remind us of that. This is not the end game here. A third purpose that I see Peter pointing out here is in verse 13. Uh, I think this is really cool. It reveals God's glory. That's kind of a counterintuitive thought, right? Our suffering reveals God's glory. But think about it. If we're going through suffering, it gives opportunity to God to come in in some really powerful ways. We're in situations we can't get ourselves out of are just really difficult situations that there's no easy path through. If the people around us see us reacting in a different way, like, wow, she should be miserable for what she's going through. He, I can't believe he's got a smile on his face. God's revealed in that. They're seeing something in you that's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. The world doesn't react that way. What do they have? For whatever reason, God has decided to reveal himself to others through us, and he does it 
through suffering in some cases. So there's definitely purpose for our suffering. But along with those purposes, there's also promises. And again, Peter shows us those as well. I want to point out the specific ones. In verse 13, we talked about how God's glory is revealed. We also get to share in it. We get to share in God's glory. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around what that looks like. But I'm banking it's pretty awesome, right? God is sharing his glory with us. That's a promise that we see here. In verse 14, we see that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, is what Peter says. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have God in us. And then another promise I saw in verse 19 is he will never fail us. God will faithfully care for our souls forever. Just think about those for a minute. Just those purposes of suffering and those promises that come with it. If we are suffering for our faith, God doesn't lie. He's telling us these things, right? He's not saying our suffering is going to go away this moment, but he promises glory revealed, we'll share in it, that we'll have God living in us, and that he will never, ever fail us. You know, we can know those things, but if we don't really bring them inside, they don't transform us. That's one of of my prayers for you all today, is to look at those purposes and those promises and let them transform you. You know, when we're looking for an example of, uh, you know, how, how is this possible, there's no other place to look than Jesus. Right? No one has ever suffered more for loving and serving God the Father. In 1 Peter 2, uh, earlier in the book, in chapter 21 through 23, it says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So here's another big question. Why did Jesus suffer through all that? He was living in perfect love and community and harmony with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible tells us he did it because he understood the purpose of his suffering and the promises that came with it. Verses 24 and 25 go on to say, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die, in, die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He did it. He went through all that suffering because the purpose was to get you back each one of us here. And the promise that he held on to as he went through that suffering was that God himself would take on our sins and die for them, to pay the penalty that we deserved, that so whoever came to Jesus, proclaimed him as their Lord and Savior and received that free gift of grace and forgiveness that he offered, 
we could be reunited back to God. That was the promise. He would make a way. It's really powerful to think about that and say, okay, yeah, Jesus, that's awesome. You're an example. I'm going to follow you. I'm, I'm going to do this, everything that he did. And uh, as I said earlier this morning, probably by the time the picnic is done and the kids are in the car screaming that they didn't like their hamburger or something like that, right? it's, suffering's back and I'm, I'm not thinking this way, right? I can't just strive and do it. And, and that's true for all of us. It's just like salvation. We cannot be saved on our own no matter how hard we try. And we are not equipped to live the Christian life on our own. So it's not just about Jesus being an example and us following these set of rules. Jesus is the means for us to live a life obedient to God the Father in the midst of suffering. He's the means of us being able to have joy. It's how we do good. If we just get out of his way. You remember that promise? One of the promises in verse 14, the Holy Spirit lives with us. We have God here to guide us and lead us along. And it's through him and his effort that we can find that joy, that we can go out and do good while we're suffering. So to wrap up today, I want to ask two questions here. What do we do with all of this? For anyone who's here who is following Jesus, um, two things I'd like you to do. I'd like you to think about those purposes and those promises and see if that changes your perspective on suffering a little bit. And the other thing I want to do is challenge you. Are you living your faith boldly and the way God is calling us to, or are you kind of taking a lay-low approach? You know, are you maybe avoiding some things that God is calling you to do because you know there's going to be some suffering that comes with it? Um, I know that's, I've been convicted of that many times. Sometimes it's just hard to take that step and it's easier to just sit back. That's not what we're called to do here. We're called to do good, to do what God is asking us to do. So I, I'd encourage you to pray about, this, pray about that this week. But even beyond that, maybe just do it. Maybe you've been praying about it for a while, and you know what the answer is. I encourage you to take that step and know that the suffering that comes with it, you have those purposes and those promises behind it. If there's anybody here today who is not following Jesus, I have this question for you. Do you want a joy that cannot be taken away in the worst of circumstances? There's only one way that happens. Everything else that we're ever going to experience is going to go away. God is eternal. You know, what Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins, that is lasting. Believing in him is the way you get that true joy. You know, he doesn't promise that your suffering is going to be taken away. I know there's a lot of us in here that can attest to that, right? You, you, you take that step of faith, but he does promise to be with you through all of it. And he also promises that there will be purpose in it. He's going to teach you something. 